Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for those of you who came. <laughs> um, so I wanted to continue the conversation a little bit more about um, a, what we talked about last week and also to expand it into some of the other conversations or, or I'm sorry, uh, the other talks that occurred at the marriage retreat that I went to um, about two weeks ago. Um, so first, any thoughts from last week? Anyone remember what we talked about? Your marriages were being transformed at that moment. So... Um, <clears throat> It was a talk by Deacon Stephen Muse, and it was very much about um, how, well, the talk was called Growing Married in the Face of Adversity Toward a Faith Unashamed and a Love Unfeigned. And so it was very much centered upon <clears throat> how going through adversity and trial within marriage is what makes marriage. And in fact, the point he made more broadly is that that's what makes life is as we go through these trials and struggles, we are transformed. Um, something that he mentioned as well, I didn't mention last week, is he talked about us becoming icons of patient forbearance and endurance. And I think that we can all relate to that within our relationships with others, especially within marriage, but within our relationships with others or with children, um, to become patiently forbearing and enduring. Um, the talk also uh, centered around that whole point of self-sufficiency, which now I've hammered home in a couple of different venues. But something he brought out was St. Peter. What did St. Peter say before Christ's crucifixion? I will never deny you. I will never deny you. What does that reveal to us? His own self-sufficiency. I myself can do this thing, and I know I can. And we can expand that into all the things in our lives where we say, I can do this thing. Whereas if you had the humility, what is the, the humble position to say, I might deny you. I hope and pray to God that I don't. But I am very aware of the reality of that. Whereas St. Peter's statement was like, that's not even reality. Other people are going to deny you me, I'm not. I'm just not. And of course we see the, the dramatic turn of events within the, the course of the gospel narratives. And his threefold denial, and then his threefold restoration as well. But that's, that is the deception of the evil one, to say, I am unlike other people. And in marriages, this can definitely happen. I could never have an affair. I could never do this. I could never do that. And all of that is setting ourselves up. It doesn't mean that that will happen. There's not like a fatalism about it. But it, it is, it is a, a position of pride to say I'm invincible to that particular thing. And what is, of course, we have a real enemy. And so what does he want to do then? I'm going to go for that one right there. Because how much more devastating was it for St. Uh, Peter when he said, I will never deny you, that he denied. Whereas if he had never had that position, had never felt that way, it would have been traumatic, but not to the same level. So in our, our colloquial way, the higher you rise, the harder you fall, right? So the more that our pride lifts us up, the more that we can fall. Any thoughts on any of that? 
experiences of that? <laughs> Share. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. So what you described, just so everyone can hear, is that um, in your earlier days, you wanted to remember God, but you also recognized, I may not always remember God. So your prayer became, I, God, help me to remember you. And then coming into orthodoxy, we do have so many different ways that reinforce that. So that dependency, yeah. Yeah, because um, we, we have all these tools here, and again, I sort of hinted at this in the homily today. The tools can either be, I'm going to do these things, and then God will like me. God will call me righteous. God will whatever. Or, I have all these things because I need them so that I can keep repenting and come closer to God and draw myself closer to God. And I'm not able to do all these things, but I'm trying. But I'm trying. And that's more of the, the de dependent way. Um, there's a... I wish I had the, the drawing board, but maybe it's better for the just audio description. Um, if you can imagine a person. And then there's God. And then there's an arrow between them, the person going towards God. What God did is he gave them the law. It was right there in the middle. And he gave them, the people of the Old Testament, the law. Why? So that they could have communion with God. The purpose of the law is communion with God. That's the purpose. Everything should be through that lens. How is this giving me communion with God? Now we can easily take this analogy over to orthodoxy, which is, instead of the law, we say the teachings of the Orthodox Church. Okay? Exactly. Everything in the church is for our communion with God. Our danger, what we see in the Gospel today, is that here's the man, there's God, here's the law in between. They take the law and move it over here. And start going towards the law. What has occurred there? It's exactly what we have the, the danger of that we see in the Pharisees. They said, this is the path to righteousness and they're right. So I'm going to pursue this. But it doesn't have any reference to God necessarily. And of course, it's never black and white like this. In our lives, there are different ways where we're just kind of doing these things that we know we're supposed to do, but they sort of, you know, I would say unwittingly, but actually we have a real enemy who's trying to make it this way. They divorce themselves from God himself. How many of us fast 
with the constant remembrance, I am doing this because I want greater communion with God and because I'm so enslaved to my passions that I want to do this fasting so that I can have greater communion with God. How many of us do that? We have to be honest with ourselves. It can easily become divorced. It can easily become this scenario where it's this thing we're pursuing. And then what always happens with this? If this, is, this becomes our path to righteousness, and so we do these things to make God happy. We do these things to make God happy. And that's not the purpose at all. God is already happy with us. God already loves us. That's not on the table. The issue is that we have too many barriers between us and God. And so he has given us these things of the church so that we can break through those barriers of enslavement and have greater communion with God. So I hope that you can all envision that now. <laughs> um, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think that we, and I don't know if this was always the case, I can't look back centuries ago, I think that we as a society, as a world right now, we are too much in that direction. So we think about our own spiritual lives, how much do we have times when we sin and we feel like God is angry at us, or God has removed himself from us. Maybe we can convince ourselves intellectually, no, it's not God didn't move away, I moved myself away by sinning. But there's that feeling inside of like, God's angry with me or upset with me. So I would say that at least in our current world that we live in, it's, um, it's dangerous to start talking about God's happiness because it kind of swings, well then, when is he unhappy? And then it becomes God is mercurial. Then it becomes God is like a human. Then it becomes God is just like my parent. I see my parent angry when I do something bad. And I see my parent smiling and happy when I do something good. And that's how God is. So that becomes very dangerous for us. So in terms of how to, I mean, it, it, is, it is good and worthwhile sometimes to offer a little bit of word of encouragement. Um, but we want to be careful with the way that we describe that. So, um, yeah, I, I could think a little bit about a, like a sentence for that kind of thing, but um, just more just what a joyful thing this is. So it's not necessarily about God being happy with me, but what a joyful thing this is. Do you, do you feel that inside of you, the joy of having done something that is right and you knew that it was hard? That's a wonderful thing. Because that's a way of attracting God's grace. You could talk about it that way. And when we do bad things, it's like we're pushing God away. We're pushing His grace away. And so yes, God's grace is the source of all of our joy, all of our happiness, all of our love. And so when we do good things, we're inviting God in. We're saying, come on God, I want you in here. And when we do the opposite, we're saying, no thank you, I don't want you here. So I don't know if that, if you can think of a way. It depends on the age level and also the child as well. So some kids are not as, they're not wired with as much of that um, insecurity about God's love. So for them, that kind of language might be okay, what you talked about. 
but especially for kids where they just, you know, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe they veer towards more of the negative outlook on life. We wouldn't want to use that language because they're going to immediately see the flip side. And here, yeah, God's happy with me, but what about the other times? So, I don't know if that helps. Absolutely, yeah. Would it be appropriate to say that we are being God-like? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or that we're drawing ourselves closer to God? Yeah, anything like that. You can also relate it to God's work in our lives. That, wow, I, I can see the way that God's grace worked in you because that was really hard. And I see how you got through that. And thanks be to God that you got through that and you were able to do what was right. So... Other thoughts, comments? So, um, now I have another diagram. <laughs> so this one's pretty simple. Imagine a triangle. Normally we think of this for the Trinity. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Think of this in terms of God, the Father, husband, wife. And uh, this was actually from another talk there, uh, Deacon Michael Hyatt, who is, um, he's a, like, executive editor at Zonder, Zondervan, I believe? No, Thomas Nelson, that's right, Thomas Nelson. Um, he's not there now, okay, yeah. So he's a deacon in the Orthodox Church. He has, like, a... I think blogs and podcasts and things um, does a lot of different things but he and his wife for the first time the two of them talked to did a presentation together about marriage because they were asked and they gave this diagram of this triangle and what imagine these lines are you can't veer off of the line so there's God there's the husband and the wife so how does the husband draw closer to the wife or the wife draw closer to the husband by the two of them drawing closer to God. And in doing so, this bottom line comes closer and closer and closer. So it's a beautiful image of how marriage is. And this is how marriage is. The, the, the depth that is achieved in marriage is by our drawing closer to God. And the converse is true as well. As we draw away from God, we're also drawing away from our spouse. So... Any thoughts? Okay. So, yeah. This would be why when marrying outside of the church can have that much more added strength to the relationship. Yeah, and so the, 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 yeah, the, the, the comment was about uh, marrying outside of the church. And what it, uh, with, with that kind of situation, there are a lot of ways that this diagram you'd have to really sort of work through, okay, what does that look like when one spouse is outside of the faith? Or I, I should say outside of the Orthodox faith. You know, we, you can't be married in the Orthodox Church if you mar try to marry someone who is not Christian. Um, <clears throat> but if someone is not practicing the Orthodox faith, how do you do that? So um, it, it, is, uh, it is still that as we... As we draw closer to Christ, we are drawing closer to our spouse. And our spouse, let's say the spouse is an Orthodox Christian, but totally doesn't care about church at all. Still, it's the case. As we draw closer to Christ, we are drawing closer to the spouse. The two things are interwoven. Why is that? 
because we are taking on Christ's love as we're drawing closer to him. And so our heart expands. We're drawing closer to our spouse. So, and this can even be in situations that are very extreme where a spouse has like a, a gambling problem or an addiction. Still, how the actual drawing close to them, the nitty-gritty of that is kind of hard to describe because, you know, there are things that you don't want to enable or you, how do you have boundaries and all of that. But still, how the, the person, how their soul draws close to the other person is by drawing close to God. Yeah. When you said that, it reminded me that yesterday the nuns told us a story. Um, yeah, what was the, the story? On it, um, about um, a husband who had a, he would go out at night and do all kinds of uh, uh-huh. things, but his wife would just stay up the entire time he was gone praying for him, praying uh-huh. for a soul out of love. And then when she heard when she heard him coming home, she would run back into bed and pretend she had been asleep. But mm. that after years of this, um, one day he just wanted to go to church and like completely mm. turn his life around. Yeah. confessed not only before the priest but before his wife how much he had done against mm. her um, but yeah they were just talking about how prayer is one of the most powerful things you can do yeah. for someone you love yeah and this really this comes from um, also the writings of St. Porphyrios as well that if we can't communicate directly with someone we have a much more meaningful and much more powerful avenue of communication and it's through God into their heart so that's exactly what that spouse was doing, is in praying on behalf of the spouse who was living a prodigal life. Because that's, that's, that's drawing close to the person. It has nothing to do with, am I validating, am I criticizing? Those things may be happening as well. But the, the point is that spiritually, he, she is drawing close to her husband. And the result of that is seen within that story. Within our own lives, it's, it, it's not as tied up nicely as well sometimes, right? And they talked about yeah. how it was years, and we yeah. didn't have patience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Deacon Stephen Muse said, an icon of patient forbearance. Makrothi mia is the, the, um, the Greek word. Makrothi mia. So, big, uh, yeah, uh, endurance. So, um, there was another quote that was mentioned in uh, Deacon Michael Hyatt's from a uh, presentation from St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom said, um, When the two become one, it is not an image of anything in the created world, but of God. It's an image of God himself. Why? Because the Trinity is three and yet one. And in marriage, it's two and yet one. So it's an image of God himself, not of anything in the created world. Uh, Another point that Deacon Michael or his wife made was, uh, couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. When we're faced with our sin, our temptation is to hide or run. So in marriage... The mirror is always right in front of us, and we don't like it. And a lot of times that mirror we see as the other person and their problems and their faults, which of course they have problems and faults, so that's easy. And we can just look at their faults and problems and not see it as a mirror to my own faults and my own problems. So, 
and this is always a temptation in marriage. And we can expand this to this is always a temptation in any of our most intimate, close relationships. Uh, I think it was last week at Theology 101 someone said about children. Children are a mirror for us. But we can see it as their problems and these are the things that need to be fixed about them and I as the parent, it's my job to fix those about them. And there's truth to that too. But to not see that actually the child is a mirror for my own impatience, anger, expectation, pride, whatever it may be. So, any thoughts? More dialogue instead of monologue? <laughs> uh, so, uh, another point that he made was intimacy lies on the other side of conflict. Intimacy lies on the other side of conflict. That conflict is something that um, conflict is something that, it, like off of what Deacon Stephen Muse was saying, is something that is essential to life and essential to marriage. And intimacy comes out of that. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's true for all of our relationships. I mean, even down to, I'm looking at a scout uniform. A bunch of boys get together and they go and backpack together up in the mountains. What's going to happen? They become intimate. They become intimate in a boy sort of way. But why? Because even if there's not outright fighting conflict, there's the conflict of the endurance of getting through this big hurdle of a trip together. And maybe it's the first time spending the night in the middle of the wilderness. Adversity. Adversity. Yeah. Yeah. So adversity brings about intimacy. Does that make us then think, well, maybe I should be rushing into adversity? <laughs> right? Isn't that what great Lent is? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Lent is rushing into adversity. Here we go. <laughs> yes. But in, in our relationships, in our human relationships, of course we don't want to cause conflict and cause adversity, but... Adversity exists, and it always exists because we live in a fallen world. But it also always exists. Why? I'll challenge you with this. Because God loves us. This is why adversity exists. Because God loves us. And so He knows that through adversity we will be transformed. And through easy life, no problems, we will not be transformed. So adversity is a witness of God's love and the only path towards intimacy with the people around us. If we use it for that, we don't have to use it for that. We can also go and fight the adversity and just become more bitter and angry at the people around us because it's all their fault. It's everyone else's fault and not, has nothing to do with me. And then there's no transformation. We have robbed ourselves of the transformation that God is trying to inaugurate in our lives. So, yeah. You reminded me of another story that I was told. There we go. Another story. This is from the women's retreat that just occurred. A, a priest, I think it was, found a woman crying in the street. Mm -hmm. Just very, very upset. It's like, what's wrong? You know? There's truth to that. 
there's truth to that. And that witness is among our saints that, or especially among the, the ascetics, <coughs> the monastics, that um, the adversity, <coughs> excuse me, if the adversity is witness of God's love, the lack of adversity means, uh-oh, what did I do? Isn't that backwards? I mean, think about it from our common understanding. Our common understanding is, life is good, that means God loves me. And what we learn from our faith is the exact opposite. I'm enduring trials because God loves me, not because he's a tyrant. And this is where we really we have to know who God is when we face these things. And if we doubt about who God is, we need to learn who God is. We need to get back to God created me out of his love. I've said this to some of you on a personal level. I'll say this more broadly. Have you ever thought your existence is the proof of God's love? Because he didn't have to create you. He didn't have to create you. Each and every one of you individually, God said, the world needs this. Yeah, I know. I hear some laughter, right? <laughs> what? But think about it. We, it's a, we're taking it as a given that I exist. I didn't have to exist. God chose. He made a choice and chose to create me. So the fact that I still exist is witness to God's love for me. The fact that you exist is witness to God's love for you. So when you face, endure, when you face trials, remember, hey, I still exist. God loves me. Right? But even not, I still exist. The fact that I exist, you can't take that away. You can never not exist. So your, your entire creation is witness of God's love. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. That, that sense of, uh, it, if, we can, if we could face it that way, that when we have trials, what is it? Now, of course, the, the question that that begs is, what's going on in the trial? How is God bringing about my salvation through the trial? And that's where we have to look at it very closely. Because it, 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 we always have the other option. We always have the option that when we face trials, we go, no thank you. Or we say it's that person's fault, or that person's fault, or that person's fault. And the trial wouldn't exist if that person wouldn't stop doing that thing. And then we've, again, we've robbed ourselves. We've robbed ourselves. Because, I think I mentioned this last week, if the person does something to me, that's their sin. Sure. If I am in any way affected by it, that's mine. And that's what I can repent of. Doesn't mean I'm at fault. Again, we get back to that whole idea of fault. It doesn't, it's not about fault. Although fault can be involved in it. But more deeply, it's about, how, am I... Do I have a reaction to this? And if I do, if I'm angry, if I'm bitter, if I'm frustrated, if I'm envious, if I'm judgmental, if I'm jealous, any of those things, all of that is my sin and only my sin and is not the other person's fault that that's my sin. So, how's that in marriage? Any thoughts? Anyone want to share some stories? <laughs> Who doesn't have their spouse here? <laughs> and off of this, this is... Uh, so the, the, the final talk that I'll talk about while we still have time, uh, Dr. George Papa George, has he come here and done a talk? 
I don't think he has yet. So Dr. George Papa George is now um, the co-chair of the Metropolis Family Wellness Ministry that Father Timothy was the chair of. And, and Dr. George Papa George um, works out of the Bay Area, born and raised in the Bay Area. And he's a um, marriage and family therapist and does extensive teaching as well and also does talks and retreats. So we'll, we'll get him up here one of these times. He did a talk called Getting Love Right. And um, he quoted Elder Thaddeus off of what I, we were just talking about. Our starting point is always wrong. Instead of beginning with ourselves, we always want to change others first. If everyone would begin with themselves first, there would be peace all around. person sinning. They're sinning. Look. <laughs> yes, exactly. We don't do that as adults, fortunately. No, no. <laughs> I can't look at my sin because there's so much sin going on everywhere around me. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, imagine if we were parents where all we did was look at ourselves. Not in a selfish way. I'm not talking about that, of course. I'm talking about looking into our soul and seeing our own sin. Yeah. It'd be very different. Another thing that he said is, he gave this example. What happens, let's say, um, I speak English and you speak uh, French. And you do not speak a word of English and I do not speak a word of French. And we have to communicate. What happens when we try to communicate? What happens? What happens? Misunderstandings, but what actually, like, I'm here talking. I'm trying to communicate something. What do I start doing? Yelling. Yelling. Right? Because that will get the message through. Yeah? That's how we do, right? So now think about this in our marriages. The two are speaking different languages, whatever language, it's all English, of course, but they're speaking two different languages in the way that they understand a situation. For instance, uh, no, being a little late is okay. That's the way my worldview is. And the other person, no, being early is when you're on time. That's their worldview. Those are two different languages. So what happens? Yelling. Yelling. Instead of recognizing, I'm speaking a different language than you. And you're speaking a different language. And in this situation, should I say, French is bad. That's the problem. <laughs> French is bad. No, of course not. But in our marriages, in our relationships, this is what we do. That viewpoint is bad. Because it's not mine. And I don't get it. And it must be wrong. And here are the reasons why. And then the other person over here can give all the reasons why their position is correct and right. And none of that is, in, in a, what Dr. Papa George talked a lot about was connection, emotional connection. That when there's conflict, this whole thing of emotional connection disappears. And the emotional connection can actually smooth out, it smooth, has this, um, this smoothing quality within a relationship where those two different languages, it's okay. 
it's a little bit more okay. And, and, and what the, the word that we would use within the church as well would be compassion. When love is high, right in Christian and true love, compassion is high. When compassion is high, it goes, I don't get it, but I kind of do. Whereas when those things are low, then what is it? You're wrong. You're wrong. Any thoughts on that? Okay. So another a nice little visual that he gave in terms of understanding another person and having the emotional connection is he gave the example of a stethoscope. Have any of you ever played with a stethoscope? Uh-huh. What happens when you have it in your ears and you talk into it? What happens? So his, his image was that. Oftentimes when we're uh, interacting with someone, or you could say diagnosing someone, we're putting the stethoscope up to their mouth. And what happens? Ah, we get offended, we get hurt out of what comes out of their mouth. And we can't, we're so focused on that, we can't look at what's actually going on here. What's actually going on here? If my teenage son, let's say, yells at me, why? Or, stop yelling at me, that's the wrong thing, that's disobedient and disrespectful and don't talk that way. Now, do we need to correct as well? Yeah. But if the starting point is, why is this happening? Why are these words coming out of this person? Why is my wife or my husband speaking this way to me? We, have, we come to very different things. Whereas if we start from that person's yelling at me and I don't like it, then we can't get there. So, so think of a stethoscope in terms of everyone that you have any relationship with. Even your co-workers. You know, your, your co-worker just ignores you all the time. Put the stethoscope up to their heart. What's going on there? Why are they like that? And because when we're doing that, what are we doing? We're, we're eliciting compassion. There must be something else there. There must be something else there. Or I, or I could just say they don't like me and therefore I don't like them. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on that? The stethoscope. Um, and this is another thing that he mentioned. Uh, he talked about mirroring. He described it this way. I'll get better in the marriage if you get better in the marriage. But I don't see you getting better in the marriage, so I won't get better. I mean, we have this in, in every relationship in, to small degrees. In healthy relationships, these are small things. In unhealthy you know, relationships that have more conflict, more turmoil, these are bigger things that, that these are. But still, there's, always, there's that vicious cycle that can occur so easily. I want to change, but it's dependent on you changing, and I don't see you changing, so I'm not going to change. So, what would be the solution for that? Start changing. What would be the solution for that, yeah? Change ourselves. If we're looking at ourselves only, then that's the only thing we can fix and change. The other person changing is kind of, that would be wonderful, that would be great. And that's where prayer comes in. But we still have work to do in ourselves. 
As long as there's work in ourselves, yeah. When I was thinking it's also that getting closer to God, that's what we can do. And mm-hmm. change it. Yeah. But it's if we're focused on Him and getting closer yeah, to, to recognize God, that's going to change us. We don't have to really think about changing us as much as yeah. getting closer to Him. Yeah. And every step that we take towards God is a step toward every other person around us. Every other person around us. Because what's happening when we take a step towards God? God is sending His grace down into us. and It's going out to the people around us. And for many of us, that's, it feels very small. But we keep doing that every single step. The more that occurs... And we draw closer to every other person around us to the point where what is a saint? A saint is a person where every other person's salvation is a greater concern to them than their own salvation. Every other person's tragedies and struggles are heartache to them. They feel that. And they can bear that too because they have, they're so filled by God's grace. And we, we sometimes can't bear that. But... Uh, <coughs> But every step that we do towards God is a step toward everyone around us. So, the opposite's also true. Opposite's also true. If you love the people around you, pray. And I'm not talking about intercessory prayer. Do that too. If you love the people around you, pray. Period. If you want to love them more, pray more. If you want to love them more than that, Pray more than that. Because we can look at the opposite as an incrimination. Do I really love the people around me? I don't do anything to actually get real love in me that I can give to others. Real love is God's love in me to give to others. If I'm not doing anything for that, then do I really love the people around me? So, I incriminate myself. (laughs) So... Any final thoughts on that? I think that will be the, the stopping point. Yeah? Yeah? I just checked, so it looks like it's on Ancient Faith. Oh, all of these talks, yes. Yeah, you know, I, I should have mentioned that. It was up in the banners for a little while, but it's, I think it's out of there now. So podcasts, specials on Ancient Faith, and you can find all of these talks. Fair warning, I picked out a couple of really nice quotes from Deacon Stephen Muse. His is wonderful, but also dense. Wonderful, but also dense. So, um, Deacon Michael Hyatt and his wife were very engaging. Uh, Dr. George Papa George, also very engaging. He gave some really good little pearls. Like I gave you some of those visuals that he described. So, uh, all of those three talks, I would recommend them. So each of them uh, talked differently. So Deacon George Papa George talked about getting love right. And uh, Deacon Michael and Gail Hyatt talked about the three transcendent reasons for marriage. So I'll leave this little uh, humorous quote. They started out by saying, what is love? And they said, and you may have heard this before, love is a feeling you feel when you feel you're going to get a feeling you've never felt before. (laughs) That's how, we, that's how we think love is when we're young and early in marriages. I'll say that one more time. Love is a feeling you feel you're going to feel when you get a feeling you've never felt before. <laughs> it's not the love that we want. <laughs> Let's rise for prayer.
Christ our God, may we strive to seek earnestly and eagerly for your love and your grace so that this may be expanded and multiplied within our hearts and spread forth to all of our loved ones around us and to everyone around us, that we may draw closer to them and to you. Amen.